other. Well, good morning. I, uh, I'm excited, as always, to, to be with you and, and to speak and to teach and to share with you um, some of what I've been studying lately. The, I find the Hebrew language just fascinating in, in the way that, that um, it depicts the structure of, a, of an individual in the heart of God um, through a pictorial written language. In, in other words, so what, what the Hebrew um, language, the original Hebrew language was really trying to convey was through picture what they meant. So, so north, when north and face are translated, um, it's, it's kind of the same thing, right? It's that way. It's the face of something, the north side of something versus south, which would be the back side. So, so the Hebrew language gives you a sense of what it means by the way that it looks. And, and so I think this is especially important as we begin to look at what I'll be talking about today, which is uh, prayer. Um, and, and it's kind of roots and variations and, and all the things that, that it has to do with this particular uh, structure of words. I'm, uh, I'm on a quest to learn Hebrew, biblical Hebrew, um, but it's slow going. I'm not taking any courses or anything like that. Maybe I will one day, but obviously that costs money. But I'm, I'm on a quest to understand it. Um, it's an infant quest right now, but to understand it enough that I can maybe one day read the Bible in its original context. And, and having seen you know, what's available just online and, and through some free resources, um, it's, it's difficult. And, and especially because the, the Hebrew language really doesn't have vowels. So, so the word Yahweh, the word God, um, is, is essentially Y-H-W-H, right? And, and they have to infer, um, the translators has, have to infer several things from that particular word without those vowels. And then what you get are, are little symbols below the, the letter, above the letter, to kind of give you a sense of, of what they mean and, and its different aspects. The other thing is that when it was written, um, the symbol was very different. It, it was more pictorial than, than what you're going to see on the last page of your handout. So what you have on the last page of your handout is, is kind of a reference guide that I use whenever I'm looking through Hebrew words and, and their meanings. Um, this is a little bit fancier. It's, um, I want to say, a little bit more artistic and prettier. It, it follows more of the guideline of, of what you might consider a, an alphabet. Um, it's still, in a sense, pictorial, but it is not as pictorial as the original. So a good example of that is what we're going to talk about here in a second is, is the letter uh, P or F, many times pronounced F, uh, and it is the one, two, three, four, four to the right, four down, uh, and you can see it's just, it looks almost like a, a non-closed O with, with a piece going inside of it. So in the original pictorial language, this had the connotation of a mouth. So it was drawn like a mouth. And you can kind of see that in this picture. Um, it it kind of looks like a mouth with the tongue sticking in as opposed to out. Uh, but there's other pictures here that also look like mouths. The, the, K, the K, the the B. Those also look just like openings or someone is opening their mouth. And so uh, from a translation perspective, it's, it's very different 
now, this here, than it was in the original. But it gives you a sense of kind of what it's trying to talk about. So when we think about um, prayer, we, we know that it's something that you're doing, right? You're, you're speaking prayer. It comes from the word palau, uh, and it means to judge, to intercede, to pray, to entreat. Uh, we get this specifically or directly from Strong's, and, and this is an easy way for us to understand the language, but it is not the deepest way for us to understand this language. So we're, we're going to go just a little bit deeper today, um, and, and you'll excuse me if, if I go a little bit slow and try to help you understand where I'm coming from. You can see here the, from the Strong's Concordance, H6419 Palau, uh, what, what you're getting from that is those three characters right next to those numbers that you see at the top, right? Uh, and again, Hebrew is written or read from right to left. So the first letter is that mouth-looking piece, the one we talked about earlier, the, the P or the F sound. And then you've got the, the Lambda Lambda. Um, that one's, again, on your sheet there. It's the one right above. Sorry, I said lambda. That's Greek. Lamed is what I meant to say. Uh, but it's the one right above the one I just shared with you on the chart. And, and it is drawn or written as a staff. So the connotation here for Palau is that a mouth and, and a staff have come together. Now, when you think about a staff or, or the way that it was... Um, shown in the Hebrew language, or the, I should say the Hebrew pictorial language, the staff is, is one of authority. It's of somebody holding a staff. And, and where do you normally see someone holding a staff? You normally see it out in the fields, right? There's sheep, there's cattle, and there's a person, a, a rancher, farmer with a staff, and they're, they're exuding control over the animals that are in their charge. And so they, they use this staff to direct or to guide uh, to move things along. It was an extension of their hand, of their body, something that they could use to hit with, to provide discipline. It was something they used, like I said earlier, to provide direction. So you would move them along with the staff. You could prod and poke things. Um, but it's, it, it really depicts authority. It, it depicts someone who is above and over all of these things that are happening with their staff. So these two letters, these two pictures together, are, are essentially a mouth and authority, or speaking and authority. And, and the variations of the letters after that is really what gives you the, the concept of, so what does it mean and where is it going? Uh, an example of this, there's a, another word, it's, it's something like palaleol, and it means justice or judgment. There's another one that's similar to that, um, that means magistrate or uh, adjudicator. And, and so you get the, the P and the, a, the L together, and it, it starts this formation of authority, and it starts this uh, formation of speaking. So speaking with authority, speaking to authority, um, and that's where they get this word prayer. That's why this word palal is translated as prayer in the Old Testament. And we see it here in Genesis chapter 20, verse 6. And God said unto him in a dream, Yea, I know that thou didst this in the integrity of thy heart, for I also withheld thee from sinning against me. 
Therefore suffered I thee not to touch her. Now therefore, let me pause there. This is um, God talking to Abimelech about Abraham. So you'll remember the context. Um, Abraham is, is off with his wife. They're walking along. They're, they're doing their journey. Um, and then they stop. And, and the king says, she's beautiful. I want to have her as my own. And, and he says to Abraham, who is this woman? Who is Sarah? Um, and he said, well, she's my sister, right? He lies to her. He doesn't want to get killed for her. So he says, this is my sister. And so Abimelech takes her with him and, and then lets Abraham stay in his house, castle, whatever you want to call it. Um, and then God speaks to him and says this in a dream. I, I know the integrity of your heart and what you're trying to do. And I did, have not allowed you to sin against me yet by touching her. Now, therefore, restore the man, his wife, for he is a prophet and he shall palau for you and you shall live. And if you restore her not, know thou that thou shalt surely die, you and all that are with you, or, or all that are thine. So this, this concept of prayer, right? Um, Abraham will speak on your behalf to the authority, which is me. Which is interesting for God to say in a dream to Abimelech, um, hey, this guy's going to talk to me about you. It's like me telling Stacy, hey, Scott's going to tell you all about me. Well, why don't you just tell me all about you? I'm right here, right? Uh, but really, it's about authority. It's about being allowed to be in the presence of God. It's, it's about the extension of it's not just a conversation because this is one-sided if you look at it. The one-sided conversation is God telling Abimelech, here's what's going to happen, and you don't have any say in it. So what, what needs to happen after this, this uh, it's not a conversation, it's a dialogue, I guess. What needs to happen after this dialogue is he's going to talk to me on your behalf. He's going to pray for me. Or, I'm sorry, he's going to pray for you. Um, PL, the, before the palau, the, just the, the mouthpiece and the staff has this connotation, and I wrote it here for you, of falling, of, of being down um, in proscuneo before the authority. That's, that's really what this is talking about here. So when you look at Palau and it's all its derivations, it's really going before someone that has authority and speaking to them. <clears throat> and we nowadays don't have this concept. You see this more in third world countries um, where they have more obeisance towards the authority, right? You see this where there are kings and queens and people who bow before others. You, you kind of see this in um, court with, with the king and the queen where people will, will bow before each other. The, the Asian traditions have this a lot where when they greet one another they bow. Uh, normally it's the person with less authority that bows first and then the person with more authority who will bow second acknowledging the, the bowing of authority. But that's, that's the connotation here of the P and the L. Um, or, or the, the pf and the lamed, is this, I'm bowing before you in order to have audience with you as the authority. In Isaiah 45, verse 14, Thus says the Lord, the labor of Egypt and merchandise of Ethiopia and of the Sabians, men of stature shall come over unto thee, and they shall be thine. They shall come after thee, and change they shall come over, and they shall fall down unto thee. They shall make supplication unto thee, saying, Surely God is in thee, and there is none else. There is no God. 
So the, the fascinating thing about this is the word supplication is, is the word palau. And, and I think one thing that we tend to do when it comes to reading or language is we, we start to assign um, a specific entity towards that particular word. So the same is true for, for worship. I'll, I'll get to that in a second. But so for this particular one, when we think about palau, we see the word pray and you think, well, who, who are you going to pray to? There's only one uh, individual that you would ever pray to, uh, and that would be God, right? You wouldn't pray to a priest. You wouldn't pray to um, someone in authority over you at the church, a bishop, a deacon. Many Catholics obviously pray to saints. They pray to Mary. But really when we pray, we're supposed to be praying to God. And so you would think, looking at this word, the, the palau, that, okay, prayer is then set aside specifically only to God. But that's because we're not looking at it in the original language. So, so when we look at the original language, the word pray is, is really about uh, falling down before the authority and, and having this conversation. We see that here in Isaiah 45 where God says the Sabians will be supplicating to you. So it's, it's not just about prayer. It's not just about asking for something of someone or of God. It's asking for something of someone else as well. Did I say that right? Does everybody understand? It's not just about the word prayer is just for God. This, this word palau goes and expands to the supplication that is given to any type of authority. And then surely God is in thee, there is none else. So the, ex the authority is extended to the people of God, and that's where the real supplication comes from. When you think about then Palau, it's really about submitting to that authority. It's submitting to um, the authority that's handed down from above to an individual, to a group. In this case, it was a group. Um, and, and then you can look at, by extension, the word Palau also talking about what, what prayer really is. And it's about, um, and, and you all know this, right? We've, we've talked about this particular thought process before. But we don't pray to twist God's arm. We don't pray to ask him for something and say we deserve this or, or you need to give this to us. Prayer is not about going before God and saying, here are all the things that I need. I need you to start giving to them and here's my priority list of, of how that's going to happen, right? Prayer is really about understanding the heart of God and his mindset. You know, we, many people, um, I've, 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 you, you look online and you see the people that, that who were Christian or who at one point had um, some sort of, I don't want to call it a relationship, but, but engagement maybe point with church or, or with this concept of I'm going to a place where there's a higher power. And, and what ends up happening when they leave is they say, you know, I, I had a bad experience with, I was asking God, you know, to heal my, my cousin, my brother, my father, whatever it might be, and it didn't happen. And so how can a, a loving God not uh, help me in my time of need? Or, or people who, who feel like they are hurt or um, losing in some fashion, and, and they say that church is not providing for them. God is not providing for them because they we we have learned this kind of fallacy of what prayer is we think that if you pray 
long and hard enough, God is going to do what you want him to do, right? That's the idea. God is going to do what you want him to do because you're praying. And then, oh man, I'm, I'm fasting too. So not only am I praying, but I'm fasting. Surely God is now going to give me what I want. And, and when Jesus said this, this type goes out not except through prayer and fasting. Remember, he's talking about that demon, right? He said, you, you, can't, you can't go into this situation and just start boom, boom, boom. In the name of Jesus, boom, you're out of here. What he was saying was you have to have a relationship where you understand the heart of God, you understand what he wants, not what you want. Because I would want to come in there and, and, and heal this person and say, hey, in the name of Jesus, rise up and walk. That's what I want. I want to be able to do that for this guy and then the, the next guy and that girl over there. I want to be able to just pop, pop, pop. You're healed. You're healed. I'm Oprah, right? And I'm handing out healings left and right. Um, you get a healing. You get a healing. But it's not, that's not prayer. That's not palau. That's not the heart of God. We, we don't know why that individual is, is in that chair. Um, and, and Jesus even said it, right? When, when the disciples asked him and said, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he's stuck in this situation? And Jesus said, neither. This, this position right here was specifically so that I could come and I could manifest the, the power and the glory of God. That's exactly why this person is in a chair. And you would think, well, that's, that's amazing. God, God positioned this person and, and had them struggle so that they could see the grace and the beauty of God and, and what he's, he's handing out. Um, I, I, I know that there are many people that Jesus walked by or, or interfaced with that he didn't heal. And, and we know that there are people that he couldn't heal, not because he was powerless to do so, but because they rejected the grace that he wanted to bring. The, they, they had no faith. They had no belief. They had no desire to want to see that in their lives. And he said, I, I, I went to a place and I couldn't do anything because of their unbelief. So, so this idea of palau, this idea of prayer is not about... Um, again, us saying, okay, Lord, here's what I want. Here's, here's my list. It's about us submitting and saying, well, Lord, what do you want? And, and we can see that in just these two scriptures. I mean, there's many more, obviously. But we see that here in, in where um, Abraham will be speaking with Abimelech and saying, let me tell you what the heart of God really is. It's not that, look, God already spoke to Abimelech. You, you see that in the dream. It's not about... Abraham saying, you know, oh, God, please forgive Abimelech. He didn't know. I lied to him. Please forgive him. That's, that's not the idea here. It was Abraham having that communion with Abimelech, with God, and sharing what the heart of God is to Abimelech. And then here with the Sabians, the Sabians understanding um, who God is and, and supplicating or bowing down before the people of God. Look at the next one, Psalms 106.30. Then it stood up Phineas and executed judgment, and so the plague was stayed, and that was counted unto him for righteousness unto all generations forevermore. So again, this, this word judgment is the word palau. It's not prayer. It's not supplication. It's judgment, which is an interesting way to translate this same word that we've seen in the, the previous two. So then stood up Phineas and executed judgment. What did he execute? 
we, we think about judgment, um, I see it as someone who stands in authority or sits in authority and says, okay, I'm going to make a decision, a judgment on the right and the wrong or the left and the right or whatever it needs to be, right? You're going to go this way. This is the direction now I need you to go because I've made a judgment. Or you both came to me and I'm going to choose this one over this one. That's, that's how I see judgment. But the word here again is the word palau. So what did Bineus really do when he executed Palau is that he was submitting to the voice piece as the voice piece of God to what was going on. And so the plague was stayed. He, he sat there and he executed supplication to God and he submitted what was going on to the Lord's authority. That's what executed judgment is really talking about. Uh, and that is why it was counted to him for righteousness unto all generations, because he didn't say, Lord, we, we expect healing. We expect you to stay this plague. We expect um, a, a recompense for all this wrong that's been happening. What he did was he submitted to the authority to as the mouthpiece. He submitted to that authority. That's what executed judgment's really talking about, because he palowed in that place. And then the last one for Palau is 1 Samuel 12. Moreover, as for me, God forbid that I should sin against the Lord in ceasing to pray for you. So easy context there, but I will teach you the good and the right way. We, we spoke a lot about um, or have been speaking a lot about Samuel these past couple of months from before the seminar, through the seminar, even, even to now about uh, Ramah or Ramah and, and what Samuel was tasked with doing the, the schools of the saints, right? Um, this, this encapsulates, in, in my mind, what Palau really, really is. That I should sin against the Lord in ceasing to pray for you. So again, when, when we think about the, the modern sense of pray, we would assume that Samuel is there and he is interceding on the behalf of the people, right? I'm going to pray to God. I'm going to ask him for stuff. God forbid that I stop asking for stuff, which is wrong, right? Many people would read that and say, oh, he's praying for, uh, for us. He's praying for the people. He's standing in the gap, so to speak. But that's not it. And, and he even says that right here in, in this next sentence, I will teach you the good and the right way. That's, that's what encapsulates this palau, this I am going to speak with the authority, I'm going to speak with authority, and, and have this conversation with God on behalf of the people. And it was really a download rather than an upload. It was Samuel saying, Lord, give me the things that need to be said so I can teach them good from bad, right from wrong. Give me the information. So, so God forbid that I ever stop having this relationship for you. That's really what he's saying. I would be sinning if I stopped having this conversation with God because I wouldn't be getting the daily download, my daily bread from him in order to be able to share with you and show the people the right and the wrong. So, so again, this modern mindset of, of prayer is, oh, you know, Sally has, has got a broken toe, Lord, help her out. And and so-and-so is, is dealing with financial troubles. Lord, help her out. That's not palau. That's not prayer. That's not the context of what's supposed to be happening. What is supposed to be happening is, is the minister, Samuel, here in this situation, 
going before God and saying, what, what more can I give to these people from you? Be the staff and guide us and encourage us and move us. Or be the staff and discipline those that need to be disciplined. Move us from where we are to where we need to be, in, inside the gate, in the fence, eating of, of the good grass that we should be feeding from. That's palau. That's, that is the connotation of the mouthpiece and the staff and the executing of judgment and control uh, or information into the people. Is everybody with me still so far? Any questions or thoughts before we continue? It's, it's fascinating stuff, in my opinion. Um, and, and I know there's a, there's a level of depth that the Lord is, has provided to this church for so long. This, I'm not saying anything new to any of you. Maybe I'm saying it differently, but it's not new because you all live this type of prayer. You, you live uh, a life where it's not about me asking the Lord for stuff anymore. It's me having this relationship, right? Um, to see it played out in the original language, I think it's just beautiful. And, and it's not something that people will readily pick up on. Um, I saw an example online uh, from a, one of those a Hebrew scholar that was you know, sharing information. And, and he showed the scripture, uh, the, you know, the, the scripture reference there and, and all the words. And then he showed what it looked like in the, in the original Hebrew. And, and it made no sense whatsoever. And the words were all all over the place. And it was one and twelve, and I mean, just it was just random. And and so I I thank you, the translators, for working so hard to get the meat of it. But when I think about what really God wants all of us to do, is to have this type of study relationship with the Word of God, and with the God of the Word, because if we don't we, we will be in that modern mindset of, well, what does pray mean? Well, pray means to ask for things, right? Um, that the Lord doesn't want that. We, we're doing teachings right now uh, with the saints in France on, on having a, a deeper biblical study and, and what that means. And, and what I shared with them was there's layers of, of study. And the first one was, um, you know, you take a passage and you just break down in, in French or in English, whatever language you're speaking, just what does it say? Right. And, and then from there you pull out themes. So I gave him the example of, of the armor of God and we look at the armor of God and it's it's somewhat simplistic in its nature. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against uh, the enemy. Um, and Having done all to stand, stand, therefore stand, putting on breastplate of righteousness, the helmet of salvation and so on and so forth. You know it. So I said from this passage, the first thing that you'll do is when you study is you'll start to pull out themes. So, so what is it talking about here in the armor of God? Well, immediately we can pull out um, prayer and supplication that's in there. We can start to pull out the themes of, of what the armor represents. So there's truth, there's faith, there's all sorts of things, right? And so I started to show them a list. And I said, from this list, now that I understand this particular passage a little bit more, we can then st start to study the words. And that's where Bible software comes in or even Google, really, because you can do a search for that particular word in a, in a translated version of the Bible online and start to look at the themes, the topics of what it's talking about. So then we'll just topically look at what that particular word is. Pray might be a good example. So then you just look up pray and you find all the times when it says pray. And then I told them, but then 
If you look at pray or prayer, prayer has four different uh, translations, or it's translated as prayer from four different words in the Greek, and we talked a little bit about that. And then you go a little bit deeper into, okay, what are the derivations of that particular one? We talked about histemi. Uh, I shared with you what histemi and, and all its derivations were a couple of weeks ago. Uh, I guess it would be three months ago. That's the last time, right? So about three months ago, I shared with you all those derivations. That's, that's Bible study. That's how you deepen your understanding and the information that's coming from all of this. And for me, the even deeper one is this right here understanding the, the context of that particular letter uh, in the word. Now, this obviously only works for Hebrew. It doesn't work for Greek. But, but it's beautiful to see the way that God just positioned all of this. From palau, the, the root word palau, we get another word, uh, tepila. This is translated as prayer. It is a noun. It is the noun form of the verb palau. Did I just increase in volume? You did. I can see your authority really. My authority has risen. <laughs> Level two. Um, <laughs> tepila, prayer. So prayer is, is the concept of you have performed the action. It is, it is the noun form of palau. And, and we're going to work together. So I want you to take that last piece. If it's stapled, you can just pull it out and put it next to you. Because we're going to look at tepila. I've already added or shown you um, the individual letters here and, and given you a rough, very, very rough translation of what they are. Again, reading from right to left, tepila, you'll see that it's, it looks kind of like the pi symbol, right? And, and finding it here on our chart, it's four over and five down. It says tav equals 400. It's th or t. It's that sound. And Take these with a grain of salt because this is, these are broad translations of a pictorial language. Mark, sign, ownership, covenant. There, there is really no one answer to what this thing means. It was, it was basically a broad scope or a broad paintbrush of what we're looking at. But, but when you look at that word, I'm sorry, that letter tav, it's essentially talking about covenant, promise, putting things together, uh, the last thing. So... That is um, what you'll see here in, in the word tepila. So the t sound is talking about a promise or, or covenant. The next one is where we get that, the, the root from, of palau. So we already know that the next letter is the mouthpiece. We already know the next letter next to that is the staff or the control. That's where the prayer is coming in. And then we get this next symbol at the very end of the word. And it's found on page two. So at the very top of page two, you'll see the symbol there. And, and I've already translated it for you. It's basically to show, to reveal. It's also in your chart. It's the first one, top left corner. Um, it's the H sound. That's where we get the H. So tepi, tepal, H is where, you're, where we're getting that word. Um, it is the noun form of palau. But just looking at the individual letters, what we're seeing here is it's the promise of that, that supplicative relationship prayer, bowing down before the authority, speaking with the authority, and it being revealed. It is the promise of prayer being revealed, and that is how we get the noun form of palau. So the intercession and the promise of, of what has been prayed about coming to fruition. That's how that word is put together.
And there's an example of that. We'll talk about the next one here in a second. Uh, in 1 Kings chapter 8, verse 44, if your people go out to battle against their enemy, whithersoever thou shalt send them, and shall pray unto the Lord toward the city which thou hast chosen, and toward the house that I have built for thy name, then hear thou in heaven their tepila and their supplication to Hina, and maintain their cause. So you'll see shall pray, palal, once you see that, that supplication, the mouthpiece, the, the staff going towards you, then hear thou in heaven and give them the promise of that relationship, uh, reveal it to us and their supplication uh, and maintain their cause. That's, that's how it's translated here. The next one that you see here is Tahina. It, it has nothing to do with um, Palau. But, but it's here together because many times in Scripture, the, the tapila and the tahina are shown together. So they're, they're, very, they're, they're tied uh, in a very real sense. It, it comes from the, word, the root word hanan. That's on page two here. <clears throat> and it essentially means grace or mercy. Um, it has this connotation of to bend down or to stoop in kindness. It's, it's the kind of picture... Uh, represented by perhaps a person, uh, someone in authority stooping down, uh, getting down and talking to perhaps a child, someone with less authority. That's, that's the connotation you get. So someone coming down to our level, to their level, and saying, you know, how can I help you or, or what's going on with you, right? We see this um, naturally when we talk to children, right? Someone with less authority, you get down to their level and you and you... Uh, talk to them, play with them, whatever it might be. When, whenever Levi is, is running towards me, uh, many times I'll stoop down and I'll pick him up, right? And I'll, I'll raise him from the floor into a higher place and give him that, that grace, that mercy, right? We, that's the same concept we see in the Greek when we talk about charis or grace, the grace gifts, the promotion of coming down from, from below into a higher place. That is Hanan. That's what this word Hanan means. So Hanan is then um, turned into noun form into Tehina and it's very closely associated with Tepila. We see Tepila and Tehina a lot in Scripture. So Tepila is the, the fulfillment of the promise of prayer and Tehina is the fulfillment of the promise of grace. And you can see that if you compare the, on page one, if you compare the letter symbols from right to left on both of these words, you'll see that first one, the, the T sound, you'll see the Palau, and then you'll see the Hanan, and then what's that last symbol that you see? It's the one that's on the top of page two, which means to show or to reveal. So that's how these words are structured, that's how they're built, and that's how we can understand them a little bit better. So going on to page 2 and continuing into 2 Chronicles. Have respect, therefore, to the tapila of thy servant, it's a noun form of prayer, and to his supplication, to Hina. O Lord my God, to hearken unto thy cry and, thy, and the prayer which thy servant prays, palal, before thee. Uh, oh, these are, there's two of them here. Exodus 13, 3, 19. And I am sure that the king of Egypt will not let you go, no, not by a mighty hand, and I will stretch out my hand and smite Egypt with all my wonders, which I will do in the midst thereof, 
and after that he will let you go. Um, oh, I, this, I'm sorry. There's, <laughs> there should have been a heading here. Apologies. These are two different things. We're going to talk about Palah here in a second. Um, but that, that concludes our Tepila and their Tahina and, and how this Palau works within the noun structure of these two words. Any questions or comments before I move on from that? Is everybody still with me? Are we good? I, this, is, this is deep, deep stuff. I, I understand. Um, but you can see the beauty of Scripture in here. and believe yes. that, that here we are with completely different translation in our understanding of the scripture and yet because of the Holy Spirit's moving we are understanding in the same vein as the original intent yeah uh, took us probably took us longer to get there <laughs> right. and we're dealing with explanations in our language rather than a picture yeah uh, presentation in the Hebrew and yet having not seen we believe and believe it, it just yeah it came to me as, as that uh, that's beautiful yeah. yeah I'm glad you said that because that's that's exactly right you you all know this you've believed it for so long I'm just kind of sharing with you where it came from so thank you that's that's wonderful Fulfillment of the promise of mercy? Uh, uh, yes, of grace and mercy. Yes. The, the fulfillment of bringing someone to that new place. Um, so again, there should have been a space between these. I apologize. The, the, the root of palau is this pala. And it's not really the root. Palau is the root. What ends up happening is that, that the author, or I guess the person who wrote this or, or said the word, uh, actually added a letter, but it shortened the word. So when we think about Palau, it's, it's the three letters, P, L, and L, um, and it's because it's providing that, that double issuance. We all know about double issuance, right? It's the double issuance of that authority. So it's not just talking to someone that's older than you. It's an elder or, or an authority that you're speaking to. Uh, Pala comes from the root of Palal, but just the first two, the P and the L, uh, because the P and the L is really all about falling down and submitting. The extension of that is that final L, the second Lamel or Lamed, uh, and it's the, um, that's the relationship, that's the conversation piece. For this one, it is the uh, Aleph. That's where we get the word alphabet from. It's the first letter of the Hebrew language. But it's the Aleph that's added to Pal, not Palau, but Palul, uh, and it comes from there. I'm going to read this again, Exodus chapter 3. And I'm sure that the king of Egypt will not let you go, no, not by a mighty hand. And I will stretch out my hand and smite Egypt with all my wonders, Palau, which I will do in the midst thereof. And after that, he will let you go. So this is God speaking to Moses and basically saying, I know what's going to happen. You're going to try to get out. He's not going to let you, um, not without some so show of strength. So guess what? I'm here to show that strength. And that strength that I'm talking about is the Palah. 
So looking at the word or, or the letters, you've got the P, you've got the lambda, and then you've got the aleph added to the end of it. Uh, that particular letter talks about strength. It talks about power. Um, it is essentially the, the falling down, the authority, the speaking with authority, but then the realization of power at the end. And it is translated signs and wonders and, and um, anything that you can think of or many things that you can think of when it's really talking about um, miracles. That's what it really comes down to. So pala is really around miracles, but it's that same concept of the mouthpiece, the authority, the falling down before the Lord. From there, we get another one, and it's paga. This one you have heard of, I'm sure. Uh, bless you. We, we talk about paga a lot, and, and it, it is in the context of intercession, right? Paga intercession. We've said this so many times. So I've given you the full, I'm not going to read it, but I've given you the full um, Strong's interpretation here for you to have and to refer to. And if you look on page three, you can kind of see where it comes from. So again, we have the mouthpiece. We have that speaking. That's, that's where we, we know that there's a conversation going on. But, but then the other two letters for paga are the, bless you, um, the gimel, which is the third one from the, on the top row from the left. I know we're supposed to be reading from right to left, but from left to right, it's the third one. Well, actually, it's the third one whether you come from the left or from the right. It's right in the middle. Uh, but it's the third one there from the left. And then you've got the, um, the Y-looking symbol, the, the yin. And, and the gimel means walk. It talks about camel. It talks about journey. It's, it's this moving letter. So whenever they wanted to show movement, they used this letter, the gimel. So whenever you see this in a, in a particular Hebrew word, there's a, it's not just that there's an action associated with it because it is a verb, uh, but there's a, there's a movement associated with it. There's a forward motion associated with it. And then you've got the, the yin, which is the all the way on the right row, uh, fourth one down, and it's talking about experience. It's talking about having seen something. Um, all of that together is where we get the word paga. So in Isaiah 59, and he saw that there was no man and wondered that there was no intercessor. There was no paga. Therefore, his arm brought salvation unto him and his righteousness, it sustained him. We, we talk a lot about intercession here at this church. We love intercession. We, we, we translate intercession as someone who is um, seeking the face of God and, and standing in the gap. And a lot of that we get from the, the Greek, not necessarily from the Hebrew. We get the, the standing in the gap. We get the idea of um, bringing others in right alignment with God. So there's a there's the Lord, there are those who need um, someone to intercede on their behalf, and we are those that intercede. Or, or perhaps it is a terio that needs intercession. It's a, it's a situation that needs intercession. With all of it, we, we at this church truly follow the, the Palau concept of it's not that we're asking for stuff, it's or that we're asking for the heart of God for stuff, right? 
but, but we do that in a pagah fashion, an intercessory type fashion. Uh, once again, it's that voice piece, it's the movement, the, the camel, the walking, the feet, uh, and it's the experience, the, the eye, right? In 2 Samuel chapter 1, verse 14, And David said unto him, How wast thou not afraid to stretch forth your hand to destroy the Lord's anointed? And David called one of the young men and said, Go near and fall upon him, and he smote him that he died. This is that same word, pagah. So, at the very beginning, I shared with you in, in, for Palau that Palau was not just about prayer to God, right? It has a, it has a broader connotation, and we, we cannot just say that, that pagah, that intercession, is just about interceding with the Lord. Uh, and the reason we, we shouldn't, we can't and we shouldn't, is because really intercession is a, is, is a is a harsh word. It's a violent action. Intercession is a violent action. Uh, this context right here, I think, is very appropriate for what it's really trying to say. And so David was running for his life. He's, he's going around. He's got his little army. He's fighting against Saul. Uh, Saul is found by a young man, and, and he's killed by this young man. Because this man believes in David. He believes that David should be king. He believes that David is king in his heart. And, and so he's, he's fighting for David. He finds Saul. And, and Saul is on, he's dying anyway. And so this guy kills Saul. And he comes back and he reports this action to David. He says, I, I killed him. He's dead. You don't have to worry about anything anymore. And, and David says, how dare you? How would you think that you have the authority to kill God's anointed. Yeah, he might have been dying. Yes, he was, he was awful to me. He was trying to kill me. And in your, yes, you're, at command, you're in my command under my army. But how dare you believe that you could subvert this authority that came from God and kill him yourself? You placed yourself in a higher place than you really should be. And, and the guy's flabbergasted. I thought I was doing you a favor. I'm sure he's thinking. Uh, and what does David say? David says uh, to another of the young men, Go near and fall upon him. But it's not intercede for him. It's not pray on his behalf. It's not, um, look, he's done something wrong. Now, now stand in front of him between me and him and protect him from me is not what David is saying. He's saying go kill him. But he's using the word pagah. So, so we have to understand really what pagah in, in the context of prayer and intercession is talking about. And that's why I say it's a violent word. It means to come upon something with aggression and, and to force your way into it. And when we think about who the enemy is and what he wants versus what God wants, then we can understand that it has to be a battle. It has to be um, an aggressive thing that we, we stand against. So all those concepts of, you know, uh, of histemi, stand there for and, and be ready for what, what God is doing with you and what the enemy do, is doing against you. When we think about the intercession that we have that from an experience standpoint, right? When we go into intercession, it's not just, oh, thank you, God. You're moving upon this place. There's so many wonderful things that are going on. You hear people crying. You hear people yelling. There's, there's this guttural sound coming from within 
because it is aggressive. There is a falling down upon something in attacking it. I, I liken it to piranhas who are eating uh, in a frenzy upon the meat or the food or whatever has been placed in front of you. When you think about sharks, bless you, when you think about sharks, they're, they're coming at something and then they attack it. Piranhas come upon something and, and it's just this madhouse of activity and action that's going on. That's what Pagal is really talking about. Here's another one. Isaiah 53, 6. This is beautiful. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. Reading this in the English. And, and uh, let me explain what it's talking about. I know you know what it's talking about. Let me explain what it's talking about, though. Uh, we, we understand this to be talking about Jesus, right? This, we're, we know uh, this is a direct reference to the Messiah or the Savior coming upon this earth. This is a prophetic word of what that Savior, who happens to be Jesus, uh, will be going through. And it says, the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. So when we read this in English and when preachers preach about it in their congregations and talk about how uh, the sin of the world was laid upon Jesus. We, we begin to get these connotations of a mantle, right? Jesus was, was given this mantle of sin that he had to wear, and he took your cloak, and he put it on himself, and he said, I will carry this sin Amen. with me. And then, oh, and then I'm going to put it on the cross right behind me, and I'm going to hang there, right? That's not this word this word paga laid is an aggressive word and and i think i think when we understand and obviously you understand this but when we understand what that true meaning of laid upon means we truly understand what jesus did for humanity because it wasn't here's a cloak let me put it on you it was here's a crown of thorns let me stick it on your head Here's, here's a, here, I'm going to cover you with some liquid, and it's your blood, but in order to get your blood on you, I've got to whip it out of you, right? There was an aggression to that sin. When, when we, as children, got punished, I remember getting punished. There were spankings involved. There was me running for my life and then getting caught and getting spanked. There's, there is an aggression that this paga is talking about um, that, that was, it wasn't laid beautifully on the feet, at the feet of Jesus, it was aggressively attacked on him. We think about our sin, um, and, it, and, and like piranhas, eating us, and then all of a sudden, fresher meat came into the water, Jesus, and, and those piranhas rushing over to that fresh meat, and attacking, and tearing, and destroying, and beating, and hurting. That is pagah. That's what this word is really talking about. And, and so to see the, the beauty, it's not beautiful, but it is beautiful because he took it from us. He had this laid upon him for us. To see it in that, that original context and that language is, is fascinating and beautiful to me because I think it brings the richness of what the true sacrifice that he made for us is. Uh, and it was violent. We, uh, there's a movie, you've, how, maybe you've seen it, the, the Mel Gibson, I forgot what it's called, um, that's it. 
And, and you, I, I think he did a wonderful job of just showing how horrible that sacrifice was and what he, he potentially laid down for us um, in that context. But, but I don't think we will truly ever or could ever understand what that was like. I'm, I'm sure people who have been tortured, you know, soldiers or, or whatever who have been tortured, maybe get an inkling or a sense. But I, I really don't think that. I think physically they might understand a little bit, but the emotional, the mental, and the physical toll of, of all of that sin coming upon him was devastating to the point of death. That's what Pagah is. So when we think about Pagah and the Pagah intercession that we have to have, consider that Pagah in the context of intercession is truly, has to truly be a sacrifice, has to truly be a death in you, a death to the world, a death for the Lord, uh, a, a violent action of you battling the enemy and in what he's trying to accomplish here on this earth. And I, I don't think 99% of the church in general, the, around the world, truly understands that. We are in a unique position because as, as Brother Dennis was saying, spiritually, we know that. And now, educationally, hopefully you understand a little bit more about why. The difference between accepting and taking. Yeah. <laughs> he, as you said, he violently took. Yeah. He didn't just lay back and accept it. No. Any other thoughts, questions, comments, insightful observations? Well, thank you. I know this was, um, I, I want to say it's like preaching to the choir, but, and as much as it was, because you all know this, it's, I hope it gave you a clearer picture of what you go through when you intercede and, and when you pray. And, and really what prayer and intercession in the context of these particular words is all about. Um, I know for me, it, it brings a richness to what we do and why we do it. And so, Father, I just, I thank you for it. I thank you for your word and the beauty of the word and, and what you're doing in this particular church and, and through this church to other churches who are also picking up this message of relationship and, and intercession and going before the throne in a, in a powerful, mighty, aggressive, violent way to perform what God, you have established us to perform. We, we thank you for it, and we pray that you will just enrich in our prayer lives and our relationship with you through it. We thank you, and we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.